Welcome to the Manitobaville podcast. This is Mahangel. You are you, the listener. And uh, today we're going to have a bit of a treat. When I started doing this podcast a long time ago, one of my first guests was Harry Siemens. And Harry's a uh, an interesting guy. He's a farm advocate. He's a farm journalist. He's a community-minded individual. And he's put a lot of energy into all of his... Everything he takes on, he puts his energy into. Like Just put it like that. And uh, he's a great guy. Well-spoken, well-thought out. And is... Uh, yeah, I've always liked this interview. Um, we've recycled it a few times. We keep bringing it back because it's it's sustainable and it's part of our sustainable community idea set here at the Manitobaville podcast. But I wanted to throw it up again so you can have a listen and uh, and take a walk through uh, the world and the life of, of Harry Siemens because it's quite the life and it's quite interesting. And like I say, it was the first uh, one of the first interviews and I had a different piece of equipment to do that with. So it's a little roomy, but it's quaint. It's... Uh, it's quite a lot of fun. Anyway, the uh, word here, the word around here that I'm hearing a lot is Manitobaville. Word on the street, Manitobaville. You might be coming to your town. We might be helping you podcast it down. We are a Canadian podcast. We are a Canadian podcast. We are a Canadian podcast, a Manitoban podcast. And we're here to uh, talk about the Manitobaville thing, whatever that thing is. And, uh, in the changing world, the changing economies and the changing transportation issues and the changing everything, we may be uh, experiencing a few more hiccups along the way. So we want to get back to the roots of how to provide your own food, how to be, um, you know, sustenance oriented as opposed to just uh, living off the grocery shelves and hoping that the trucks are running, as it were. Um so a lot of that kind of thought. Anyway, uh, here we go. I'm going to get right to this interview with Harry Siemens, the great uh, legendary Harry Siemens. He's, you know, um, I remember talking to people that worked with Harry, uh, cameramen who would go with him uh, when he was doing reporting. And they, they said it was phenomenal because he would walk into a room, a big room, a meeting room, and he would be walking down towards the front to sit and listen to what's going on and report on it. And he would have to say, but well, didn't have to, he wanted to. He was recognized by literally everybody in the room. And it took a while for him to get to where he was going because he knew everybody. And they all liked Harry and they all respected him. And he respects uh, everybody who's involved in farming and agriculture. And it was just, yeah, it was just great. It was like he's a, he's a rock star, you know, of well, uh, you know, uh, that's not the, I don't know why we compare everybody to rock stars all the time. Rock stars are not, you know, all they're cracked up to be. <laughs> Mostly they're just cracked up. But uh, but Harry was a, a big name, a big name, a big shining example of, of somebody who is well regarded in their community. And his community was all over Manitoba and all over the prairies and into the United States because he uh, he cared what was happening to the farming community. And still does. Okay, so here we go. We're going to jump into this interview right after this little ad break. Hi, 
I'm on both sides. Like I do uh, stuff with CJOB and sometimes and with Jeff Courier in the evenings and go on for 10 minutes and, and I do a network of stations in the U.S. And so and then I'm on every Thursday and on a Yorkton station, but always commentating, right? Like being the, the, the so-called expert. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. Well, you know, I had to be a little careful when I'd go in and do interviews that I wouldn't know the. I mean, I knew the so many of the answers ahead of time, and, yes. but it was far better they tell us than than me, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah you can guide them into telling you what you yeah. want them to. But it's it's been good. I I still write for four or five farm papers across the country. Yeah, and uh, and just keep going. Yeah, I did um, seminars. I did uh, speaking. I did a lot of speaking, and uh, and and some, I did a lot of media training, like across the country. I like mm-hmm. uh, media because I knew both sides of the media, and I used a video camera, and I and I had grown up on Toastmasters. That's where I learned to to speak, right? Okay. And evaluate and do all those kinds of things. And so I did it. Uh, I did it with some pretty key people uh, across the country, and uh, but I was always, uh, you know, I always did a few things, and then I picked up on writing, which I, I had never really written other than for myself. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one day the guy says, "Well, why don't you try writing?" So I did, and and the boy, that just uh, that's for now, especially like uh, it's been a it's been great. I mean, I'm a freelance writer, but I have I have at least um, three papers that take my stuff. Like as long as it's good, right? I mean, I don't have to worry about. I mean, I yeah. uh, worry about having to sell to them. I mean, I know what they want, and I write for them. Then I do for Ontario Farmer, which has a dairy paper, a hog paper, and a weekly um, a regular farm paper. And there, I, it's kind of a, like a crapshoot, right? I mean, if if he he gets 150 articles a week, <laughs> and if he likes yours, yeah. it's unique. Uh, but but I can do one article there. And get paid as much uh, as I do for in, for some of it where I get for two over here, right? Yeah. So that's that's how I I keep going. But I did a lot of speaking. But I uh, right now my last diagnosis. In fact, I'm I'm going in for a, a cardiac uh, checkup, uh, six months checkup tomorrow. But I um, the, the last diagnosis was that I my heart muscles were stiffening up, and uh, and so. Uh, so they just don't, uh, they don't always pump when, when you want to exert yourself, right? Okay. And then when I exert myself, especially I walk into a room of, you know, I used to thrive. I like to go to the farm meeting. I'd be mm-hmm. pumping like crazy. Now it just does exactly the opposite. Yeah. Just tightens up and I get chest pain sometimes and so I don't have to get out of there. I use a little nitro spray. Mm-hmm. But that's so I don't go to do many meetings. Like I, yeah. I uh, unfortunately I don't have to. I can basically I generate most of my articles off of Twitter and LinkedIn. And that's good because, well, for your condition now, yeah. because now you can communicate with all the people oh. you used to have to travel to communicate Th- with. That's right. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I know uh, I, I feel a lot of people say, "Oh, we're going to go there. This is going to be our trip." I do that every day. You know, yeah. I meet somebody somewhere, right? Yeah. Around the world. Yeah, and then, Tell go, it. then go to your kitchen and make a coffee. Yeah, make a coffee and, and, uh, and <laughs> go and sit down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. that's... Uh, well, that's the thing because it's such a huge... Like, the community is probably, if you put them all in the same place, not huge. But where they have to be to do their jobs oh. is a huge geographic area. So, yeah. Yeah, unless you're going to be on the road all the time. Like it's just oh, I mean, when I worked with MTN, 6,000 mm-hmm. kilometers a month. Yeah. 
I believe it. <laughs> it was just, and then I would, and then I would drive. Like for a lot of times, I would, we would go, you know, whether it would be to Brandon or somewhere, right? Uh, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd drive and I'd come home and I put seven, eight hundred kilometers on yeah. that day, you yeah. know, and thought nothing of it until I came home, yeah. and I was just bushed, eh? You know, like a lot of times because of the driving and. Uh, yeah. But um, you know, we we did it, and uh, yeah. oh, I I loved it. I mean, I was, uh, and it was too bad that we had a that you know. I mean, that one day, uh, the guy in Calgary, I guess, decided that they didn't need a guy like me there, and mm-hmm. it didn't take long, and the show was done too, eh? Yeah. I mean, I guess they see it in cycles too. Oh, how long yeah. has that been running? And they don't care what it is. It's just like, oh, yeah, let's do something else. I mean, the guys told me you'd last a year, and we went nine. Yeah. <laughs> And the yeah. semen says, and and all that was all sold out uh, for two years, eh? Like yeah. even when they when they shut her down. So, yeah. yeah, there's nothing nothing you can do. Well, well, you did it. You just kept going, and yeah. you just said, "Well, no more TV." But I can still oh, I, talk to the community. I it, mean, the TV is just a it's just a communications tool. Totally, yeah. yeah. And it gave me that uh, that uh, re- recognition. Like I'd been on radio fourteen years, mm-hmm. six days a week, an hour at least. Yeah. I didn't have the name recognition. I had pretty good, but I didn't have the name recognition that I had the first six months on television. Yeah, I mean, if people, somebody, they, like, you want to compare the mediums? Yeah. Uh, well, TV, TV makes stars. Right? Oh, it, totally. I mean, yeah. it was just. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but like now with uh, like I've got thirty five hundred uh, followers on LinkedIn, and they're all bona fide followers. Like my mm-hmm. wife keeps the keeps it clean, right? Yeah. And Twitter, I'm, I think I just hit thirty. Thirty-three hundred and seventy-five. Eh? They're the same mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it's a community that, and as Donald Trump said back in two thousand and twelve, he said, "I love Twitter." Yeah, it mm-hmm. gives me my own publishing company, mm-hmm. but without the losses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and, that's, and that's the thing now. Even with websites, yeah, you know, I could hook you up on a website that would cost you two hundred bucks a month, look better than most people's, and you can update it yourself. I mean, talk about like instant gratification. Yeah, no, you know, and like then, I have a website. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. says dot. I mean, it's 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 a it's a kind of a. I had somebody develop it, and, and I just continue on with it. You know, yeah. how long how long ago did you make that? I had my first website back in when nobody else had websites. I had yeah. a guy, and it cost me far too much. Yeah, probably but I mean, in the mid '90s, probably. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. It was. It was a seaman says, yeah. and I, it was back. Yeah, it was back in the, at that time. Yeah. And then I had a, a another website, and uh, and then uh, somebody said, "Boy, you should really do this." Mm-hmm. And so, so, uh, and he developed a really, really good website. Mm-hmm. But he was a kind of guy. Initially, they offered to do. You know, we were going to do some contra, right? Right. And then um, I went through some of my my health issues, and I wasn't able to update it and get mm-hmm. it out to sell the way he wanted me to. One day he gave me a month notice, and he pulled the whole thing. Wow. And then I had nothing. Yeah. So then I went to uh, to another guy, and uh, and he's he, if you go, he it's, he's a, uh, an, an Indian fellow. I met him through my brother-in-law in Saskatoon. Hedimentary, um, uh, Singh. He mm-hmm. developed an app called Farm at Hand, okay. something like it. And he developed the the latest website. And that one is two years ago. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I've been off and I mean, there was a time there I didn't do it, but now I, I post to it every day. Like I can put audio, video uh, stuff on it. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, and then I, and then from there I have it set up so that uh, whatever I post goes to Twitter and to LinkedIn, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like the loop. That never totally. Ends, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and I, like I, I have a, a company out of Ontario. It's called uh, the uh, farms.com. You know, a guy by the name of Joe Dales mm -hmm. uh, owns it. They've got, uh, they're, they're bigger. They they would like to be, uh, like in Ontario, they probably are, and, and they have oh, six, five, six, seven different websites. Uh, but uh, they are finding it really tough going up against uh, the Western producer. Yeah. Like it's called agcanada.com. Okay. Like they own Western producer, the grain news, livestock. They own all the farm media in Western Canada. Yeah. And it's and and it's awfully tough yeah. uh, to uh, to compete against those guys, eh? Oh, it is, yeah. Yeah. So you have to kind of find a niche, mm -hmm. and I and I have not put as much emphasis on the on the website other than just a a tool, you know, that I can yeah. get my stuff out. But I my I have to pay my bills uh, through the freelance writing, yeah. and then that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What what you see is what we have. This is it. Eh? A thousand square feet plus yeah. the garage. Another 280, so. Yeah. Well, you know, person doesn't need much. Oh, no, we have just, we, it's the best move we we ever made. No, it's just, okay, I was curious more about who you are and where you came from and how you got into what you do. I uh, grew up on a farm northeast of Plum Coulee, and Plum Coulee was always, uh, uh, Peter Warren, when he was on CJOB years ago, he used to say first prize is, uh, is one weekend in uh, Plum Coulee and the second prize is two weekends in Plum Coulee, right? <laughs> anyway, that's where I grew up. Uh, I farmed uh, with my dad and with my brother when I first started. And then uh, I, uh, I saw what I thought then was greener pasture and I've never looked back, but I, I uh, went back uh, to, to school went back to university and then in 1971 I got a call after I had applied uh, at a local radio station in Altona uh, to become their uh, farm broadcaster. In fact the title was much better than what the pay was but it was farm program director initially that way they they could basically uh, make you work as hard as they want and not have to pay overtime and I loved it. It was absolutely a real start. I kept farming together with my dad and brother till about 1975. But in the meantime, I was the farm broadcaster of, uh, of at that time, Radio Southern Manitoba. And uh, I was able to go to meetings in Ottawa and Winnipeg and Western Canada and the United States. Uh, and, uh, and as long as I came home with the goods and as long as I did the broadcast from those uh, meetings and the advertising, the salespeople could advertise, mm -hmm. then I could always go again, right? Mm -hmm. And so that that was where I really I spent fourteen years uh, as the farm program director, and and then in nineteen seventy eight, I asked uh, the general manager and owner of the station, Elmer Hildebrand. I says, uh, "How can I take it the next step?" Right? I you know to left. He says, "Go look up a guy by the name of Maynard Spies." He's a farm broadcaster at WCCO in Minneapolis. I called up Maynard, made an appointment, sat down and had coffee with him, 
And, uh, and at the end, I asked him, I says, Maynard, what is that one thing I need to do? He told me, he says, join the National Association of Farm Broadcasters of America. Well, my boss had sent me to ask the question, right? So when I came home, I told him. So that year, I went to Kansas City for the first time, 78, and became a member of the National Association of Farm Broadcasters. Wow. Attended their annual meetings till 1985, when I left the radio station to do some other things. And uh, that was probably the big spark that I needed because it gave me exposure. It gave me you know, something that I didn't have here mm -hmm. at home. And so it was very exciting to become because I became the chair of the Canadian uh, Farm Broadcasters uh, contingent, and it wasn't very big. I think there was three of us, but it allowed me to speak at the annual meetings every year about Canadian agriculture, and uh, and so that was a that was a, a big step for me, uh, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And from there, you know, we went. Uh, uh, you know, I, I left there in 1985 to to do some some work for for a Bible college at uh, Otterburn. At that time, it was called Winnipeg Bible College. I helped them develop a studio, and we did a, a, a daily program back on the same station that I had been the farm director. Uh, it was a 15-minute inspirational program from the college. Okay. I would have speakers from the college and so forth, and I did that for a while. And uh, and then I needed to to get out and do some other things, and mm -hmm. and so from there I uh, uh, back in I think it was 1990 when I had had a meeting with at that time Stuart Craig, and uh, about a different venture, and I told him then what I thought they needed to do as far as the rural audience is concerned. And one day Stuart called me. Yeah. He says, put your money where your mouth is. He says, come and do this for me, right? <laughs> and that's how we started the Manitoba Farm Report. Right, right. But at the uh, National Association of Farm Broadcasters, I'd gotten to know Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong, the two top premier and still are today farm broadcasters in the world. And Orion did a U.S. Farm Report, and I mimicked my program, designed it after his, and in fact, he did a Samuelson Says, I put together a Seaman Says. The only thing at that time, Al Thorgerson thought we couldn't copy too much, uh, S-E-Z is how Samuelson Says spells his, mine had to go S-A-Y-S, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was good, and, and Orion came here uh, to help me launch that program on his own nickel. Really? You know, to spend time here, and, and he's still going today at 80 years old, really? 56 years as the farm broadcaster at WGN Chicago. And I can call Orion any time of the day and email him, and we still talk and do uh, interviews with each other. And, and today, he doesn't do the U.S. Farm Report. He does uh, This Week in Agribusiness. It's on the rural television uh, satellite in the U.S. and with thousands and thousands of viewers. Wow. And every... Four months, uh, they call me up and I do a Canadian farm broadcaster agriculture update for them. So that's, uh, you know, and that, uh, you know, and then we did the show for nine years. But in the meantime, I did other stuff. You know, I was always uh, writing, broad, looking for other opportunities, right? But first and foremost, I'm a farm journalist. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I'm a farmer's advocate. Mm -hmm. Always those two go hand in hand, but the first, uh, the farm journalist is number one.
I like to bring agriculture and what's happening around the world, the world, and adapt it to the guys locally. That's mm -hmm. really my mission and goal. And uh, not nearly uh, everyone always agrees with everything I say, but at least people read and people listen. And and uh, and I've done a lot of uh, public speaking uh, across the country at farm meetings. I've done training and media work uh, and sales training and always with agricultural companies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, getting them to be a bit better at what they do, to serve the farmer a little bit better. That was my my goal all those years. And, uh, you know, if I if I work until April the 1st, uh, 2015, that will conclude 44 years of being a farm journalist and farmer's advocate. Who's planning the party? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll have one. We just want to keep going, eh? <laughs> you know? Just another marker, another milepost. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, and when Ori and I get together and we compare, he's got 56 years and I've got 44 years, we'll add that up. And it's a few years between the two of us. And, and we probably think alike and do the, some of the same things. But uh, but he's not letting you catch up. <laughs> no, he's not letting me. No, he doesn't want to quit. You know, He's had uh, a couple of health uh, stints as well. That Just a one that just about took his, uh, took his life. And yet he, he and it hit his he had. Uh, Something happened to his throat, and, and it wasn't cancer, but it was flesh eating. Yeah. And and he and I happened to be in Chicago when he was just at another tour when he was in the emergency. Uh, and and but he survived that, and he got his voice back, and he continues to speak uh, probably three four times a year. And he's eighty years old. Wow. He was my he is was and is continues today to be my mentor. Uh, just uh, because of, of uh, a friendship, and, and he, he always walked it before I did. Nice. And who do you mentor? Boy, you know, I uh, I take uh, a lot of guys that I, I see. Uh, if they want it, if they want some help, I'll help them. Uh, I'm always um, uh, stepping out and and, and 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 encouraging people to do their work uh, just a little bit better and to know what they're doing. There's been a, quite a few people along the way that uh, that I've been, been working at mentoring. I'm, in fact, is one fellow right now, and if I can tell a little story about this one. 2011, and I know the date was May 28, 2011, I get a call from a, uh, a Joe Johnston from the Interlake. You know, in 2011, they had that massive flood, right? Mm -hmm. And these guys were losing everything. And they had tried city media. They tried all kinds of things. And he looked, uh, he said he remembered me from television. And so he found my phone number on the Internet, called me up. And he says, uh, Harry, he says, uh, you're the only one left. He says, I hope you can help us tell our story. Well, I says, uh, let's see what we can do. And... Uh, and to make a long, long story shorter, uh, that was May 28th. On June 2nd, we filled the hall in Langruth, Manitoba, and it was overflowing to 250, 300 people. Because I told them, I said, the only thing we, you know, we, first we got to do is we got to get people together, you know, and then we got to get the media out, and then we got to get the politicians out, and we got to tell the story, right? And I'll chair the meeting. And they, they paid me a little bit of money, and that was fine. And uh, I went in. The reason I tell the story, there was a guy by the name of Tom Tychrobe. Uh, Tom, a cattle producer from Alberta, moved here to the 
Interlake to start a new life, bought a ranch, and uh, and he was at that meeting. Um, you know, one uh, one of the guys that that I picked as a leader. And uh, at the end of that meeting, I just I told him I says we've had a great meeting, and we did. We had a wonderful meeting. You know, you know people could vent, and we had some real good media. We got good media. But I said you can't. You know, if we leave it here, uh, we've wasted our time. And I was prepared to work with them. And so uh, I says we've got to form a committee. So we formed a committee, and I encouraged Tom to become the chair. And sure enough, he became the chair. And uh, we formed this committee using Skype. Like I couldn't always drive out there, right? Mm -hmm. So we had three committee meetings with twelve to fifteen people from around Lake Manitoba on Skype. Right. And uh, and we formed a committee, and Tom became the chair. I this morning was talking to Tom. He was thanking me for another presentation I helped him put together, or at least motivated him to put together. Mm -hmm. I'm mentoring him. Uh, He's come from from being a, a guy that I saw had tremendous potential to chairing that, and, and that committee probably had, it's called the Lake Manitoba Flood Rehabilitation Committee. We've had three public meetings. We've had probably the best media that any organization like that could ever think to get. And uh, so he came from that meeting. Uh, he's the chair. He's now a director of the Manitoba Beef Producers He's been appointed to be a director on the Canadian Cattlemen's Association, attended his first meeting, and I was able to get him a meeting with the Federal Minister of Agriculture on a major issue while they had their meeting in PEI a couple of months ago. And uh, and so anyway, he's uh, he's the kind of guy that I, 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 I tweeted him yesterday or texted him yesterday, and I says, Tom... Uh, they've been bugging him to run as a provincial politician. He may well someday. But I says, right now... Uh, you can do far better through your organization. It says, I want you to be the president of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association whenever that will be. But that's going to be your goal, mm -hmm. and I will help you get there. Yeah. So he's probably 45. I'm 68. Yeah. And so he's one of the guys. Those are the kind of people that, uh, you know, there's not a lot of people in the media that, that I, I would be able to mentor, but it's the people in the farm organizations Right. that I have uh, helped uh, probably more so than than I might ever realize because a lot of the stuff you just do. The other real key part to what I've done, I've pro you know, I've I've uh, chaired and organized rallies at the legislature one and back in 92 had 10,000 farmers, right? Yeah. And again, it was done in a matter of days. Just we were mm -hmm. able to do it, right? That was the with people driving the tractors and combines. Yeah, I know. We like we did the thing got a little bit that didn't get out of hand. It was just just right. No, but eh? it, was a, it was an indication. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, I've I've chaired uh, a lot of meetings that nobody else wanted to chair, mm -hmm. just because I'd learned how to control crowds and yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah. And 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 I remember Harry Ens. Uh, was the Minister of Agriculture, and I actually worked for the PC Party as a, as a consultant on some issues, mm -hmm. and Harry and I had become really good friends. Mm -hmm. I still think he's, you know, aside from political stripes of anything, I still think he was probably one of the more practical and good ministers of agriculture, because he wasn't worried about Harry, he was worried about the farmer. Yep. Man, and you know, we don't have those kinds of people today. You know? yeah, exactly. And so, so I was working for them, and we'd held a whole series of meetings 
and uh, we, we were to have a meeting in Dauphin, and it had to do with Lake Dauphin, and it was an environmental issue, the whole thing. Eh? Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry's handlers at that time, assistants, they said, no, you're going to get, you're going to get eaten alive because the people were mad, right? They were mad at government, mad at things that had happened. And uh, Harry says, uh, if Harry Siemens is prepared to chair that meeting, we'll go. And we did. We had 350 people, flew in that government little jet, or beautiful ride up the Dauphin. Eh? We walked in, and these, I mean, this place was packed, and these were fishermen and uh, natives and who, you know, all kinds of people, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we chaired that meeting. And we came out of there with a real positive response. Eh? Mm-hmm. And Harry never forgot that, right? I mean, he uh, he was able to, uh, and he. But he. But I remember him saying, "If Harry Siemens chairs that meeting, I'm okay." And he was okay. I knew it. I mean, I. I just uh, you know, I never. I never lost a meeting. Mm-hmm. So th- that was another area that I probably mentored and worked with people in in how to. I mean, I've. I've I've chaired meetings where people were losing stuff, you know, because of high interest rates in the mm-hmm. 80s, you know, and all kinds of things like that, you know, where they would say, you know, if, if we can get Harry to do this, we'll do it. And, and I'm not, you asked me, and, and I'm not bragging. I'm just yeah. saying that's the, the areas that I worked at. And the other thing that really I loved doing, I umpired professionally 1,500 ball games in my life. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Baseball, fastball at the provincial level, yeah. and I did 18 this last year yet. Where was, uh, what areas were you? Well, I initially, I, I, years ago, and back in, and this goes really back, uh, back in in middle 60s, uh, middle, sorry, uh, yeah, middle 60s, because I started when I was 14 years old, middle 60s till 1980, my brother and I, we did all the men's fastball in southern Manitoba. Within the within a certain region, right? Okay. And uh, we did. Uh, he was. Uh, we would take turns, balls and strikes and bases, right? And when the playoffs came, there was three leagues, and then they would call us, right, to, to yeah. come and on those games. And then uh, I in 1980, I was doing the July 1st was the top tournament in in Manitoba rurally, with teams from the U.S. and from across uh, you know Manitoba. And uh, I had done, as a 14-year-old kid, my brother was managing the team that I later managed, and, and they, won the, they won the tournament at Morton. And, uh, and I said to myself, you know, someday I'm going to be the balls and strike umpire at this tournament, right? Yeah. Well, from 1975 to 1980, I did for five years straight, right? Wow. And, but then in 1980, I, uh, I was tired, yeah. right? And then I vowed, you know, I'm done. I don't need to ump for 20 years. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. My daughter went to the Mennonite Collegiate Institute in Gretna, and she phones me one day and says, Dad, you've always bragged about umping. Now put your money where your mouth is. Coming up our ball game, eh? You know, and, and I went out there, and, and I started to ump again. I hadn't, I hadn't lost anything, uh, you know. And, uh, and so then we moved to Winkler, and then I got to know the umpire-in-chief, and then I started to take clinics, and get training, and also I realized I had done everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I I had to untrain everything the way I I umpired on emotion, right? Yeah. I mean, I, but I had to. They guys, they were at the clinics in Portage. They would laugh at me, you know, at, at how I would call people, and and I had to change that completely, and I did, and I uh, umpired at you know at the provincial level, you know, doing but, a new system. But is it better now? 
Pardon me? Is that better? You know, it, yeah, it's it's better uh, it, for from the standpoint that... Uh, for your heart, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, like like I would, you know, I would umpire. If there was a call at third, I'd be at third, right? Oh, From home base. Out, yeah. I'd run out there and just, you know, give it, you know, without even, now you you just take an angle, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to, you know, you take an angle and you make sure you can see it. Right. And then you don't call on emotion, right? Mm-hmm. You call it. Uh, you know what? Um, years ago, I read an article by an umpire from the National uh, Baseball League. and uh, And he says that, any just about anybody can learn the mechanics of umping, but the close calls, getting them right ninety yep. percent of the time, yep. that's a gift. Yeah, and that's I absolutely believe. Pure instinct. To, yep, to you bet. It's a gift. It's just it's that's yeah. like a, that's like a, a hitter being able to see the ball. That's right. Versus at ninety people, miles an hour. Yeah, most people is just the it's just the wish. Quiet, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. That's it. and I you know and for me out of those fifteen hundred ball games, I did all kinds. I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did ladies, girls fastball, and I did peewees at baseball. I did all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I probably threw five or six or seven people out of ball games. Yeah, I didn't have to. We, yeah, just, we just had a great time. But the, but the crowd wants that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when when we had to, we did right. Yeah. But but I entertained. Yeah. You know, like well, that's what I mean, people are there to see it. It's yeah. an entertainment. It's yeah, not, like I entertained. I didn't. I didn't have to get people a, angry. I didn't have to. Be, some of these guys, they would, they would get themselves into a rift, mm-hmm. and before they knew it, they'd made back themselves into a corner. And it says, "You do that again, you're getting thrown." Well, the guy did it again. Boom. Okay? Yeah. And uh, anyway, so but that's the that's the entertainment. Of yeah, it. I know. And I, 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 I'd rather go to a game like that. Yeah. Than oh, this guy's doing it by the book and he's so calm. And oh, yeah. No, no, no. We had yeah. lots of fun. The team, the, the managers are all reading the rule books going, yes, yes, he's right. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. go kick dirt on his feet and yell yeah. at him and spit on him. You know, yeah. throw him out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The last guy I threw out was a young guy. Final game year in a men's fastball. It was a fine, and it was, uh, and he, uh, uh, he was at third base. And, uh, and the strike umpire, you know, they, somebody appealed to me on a call, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, as umpires, you, you you better not, you know, unless it's really blatant and the guy just comes to you, the um, head umpire comes to you and asks you, what do you think? Yeah. I didn't see it. Then you have to. Uh, yeah. But if he's called a judgment call, you don't go back on him, right? Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so he comes to me and oh, I said, no, that was a, that was a strike. And... Uh, or ball, whatever it was. So this guy, kid from third base, and we should have thrown him out earlier in the season, right? From third base, he says, ump! And I was up in first. He says, ump, you didn't see that. You were looking at the women in the stands. Oh, I just, uh, I said, oh. so here I figured, though, there's nothing. I mean, he's challenged me, right? Yeah. But anyway, I took my time. I took five steps from first base towards the pitcher's mound, and I went like this. I went, time. Mm-hmm. So everybody, I had everybody's attention. There were 200 people in the stands, right? right? I had everybody's attention, and I says to him, I says, are you done? He says, no, I'm not. Well, I says, yes, you are. You're done. You're out of here, right? <laughs> Threw him out. And uh, after the game, uh, he came to me, and I hear this Mr. Siemens quietly. He comes behind me, and he says, Ump, I want to apologize. I went far, way beyond what I should, and became my good friend after that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Energy. Anyway, that's good. I mean, that's the that's like tough love. It's, it's drawing boundaries. It's like, yeah, this is the parameter of the game, and you're that's right. You're outside of it right now. Yeah, doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just right now, you can't do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we changed. My brother threw at a guy at a tournament, and this guy was, and and that guy still will tell us to this day. He said the best thing happened to him. He yeah. changed his whole life after that. Hey, eh? because he realized. You know, he was he made such a fool of himself. He was so embarrassed, right? Mm -hmm. And uh yeah, you just keep on going with it, eh? But those are those are things and I I'm also have been in you know, I pastored a church for seven years. Uh you know, uh, in a little church during the time I was doing the T V show. Okay. I pastored a small church uh, southeast of Altona. The Hauptstadt Mennonite Church. And it was just the same thing. I had spoken in that church, uh, helped the pastor. He was a part-time, full-time worker, part-time pastor because there were only 100 people in church. Mm -hmm. And I'd helped him out a number of times. And then just, I think it was 19, he became the full-time pastor. He retired his job. And within six months, he had cancer and died. And so I had been his friend. I did his funeral. And at the funeral, the church council chairman, Randall Papel, came to me and says, Harry, can you continue? Can you just continue? Yeah. And I'd been ordained in, a, in my local church, so I had spoken. So I said, well, we'll see. So I'd continued, and then in November, this was July, November, they came to me and asked, well, can you just continue? So I was interim pastor there for seven years. And uh, until I just, I got, I was burnt out. Because I was doing TV, I was doing all the other stuff, and uh, and when you're a halftime pastor, you get halftime pay, but your full time mm -hmm. job, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, and I loved it, but I, I still uh, I still speak mm -hmm. in different churches today. Uh, whenever I can help somebody out, uh, pastor, I'll go and help. I sing. Last night, we we have a very special uh, men's choir here in Winkler, twenty eight members. Yeah. We sang uh, Sunday morning in a church and. And last night we sang at an old folks home, did our Christmas uh, program, and uh, I sing in a, <laughs> here, here's a, here's are, a, huh? are you the director of the choir though? <laughs> no, 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 we have a, we have a really good director. Because I've seen a pattern. <laughs> yeah, no, I just sing, I just sing, because that's one thing I couldn't do, uh, you know, uh, I could, I could sing, yeah. I, I sing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we just, uh, I just help. Okay. You know, in that case, but I sing in a in a men's quartet. Okay, yeah. I, in 1967, I joined my brother, my cousin, and another guy in a men's quartet. They had been singing since 1960. The other three, wow. and they needed at that time a first tenor. And uh, and you may wonder whether I'm, I'm I, how come I can sing first tenor. Well, I I went to a small Bible school that year, and. Uh, and, I, and I'd been the umpire, and the music director was a guy that had played ball when I umped, right? Anyway, he takes me into his room uh, to do the audition for the choir, right? And I, and all of a sudden he says, Harry, you sing higher than any of my tenors. What are you doing in the bass section? Well, he turned me into a tenor. I did a, you know, four months of voice training yeah. and uh, went into to the quartet. And... Uh, <laughs> We call ourselves, uh, I don't, uh, the other guy, I do, Bionic Quartet. Uh, our bass, my cousin, uh, he's had a full heart transplant. 
And he's, you know, so we had to give up singing for a little while. Yeah. But he's back better than he ever was. And my brother is 77. Uh, he can still barefoot water ski if he wants, but he had two stents put in his heart last year. And I've had quadruple and a stent, and the baritone that we have, you know, he's had three uh, bypasses and a valve drop, right, uh, in his heart. And uh, we sang Sunday afternoon at a cousin's uh, birthday in Portage, you know, and so so we're we're still uh, we're still at it, you know. It's called rebuilt. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I got our valves cleaned, yeah, and the other uh, cylinders bored out. Yeah, new totally. pistons put in and rings. And You're not kidding. I mean, and and this tune up, little tune up, uh, purring like we get them now. Yeah, take it on the racetrack. Yeah, see, the guy that had the heart transplant, yeah. I mean, he had a stroke when he was fifty. And he was such a good guy. And he was one of the ball players. He had everything going for him, right? And he had that stroke, and it just turned his whole um, care, uh, personality, like from being a really good guy and a good sense of humor to one who's <laughs> even tell jokes, and, and it just was off off a notch, right? Yeah. And uh, and then his heart just kept getting worse. And, and then he had a heart transplant, and he can walk for miles yeah. And and he didn't have one ounce of rejection, eh? and he came yeah. back into the quartet, and he he sings like he's you know just like you know, he's seventy. What is he? Seventy two now, yeah. you know. So I'm the young guy, <laughs> sixty eight. <Yeah. laughs> so and and you know and, and and my wife, you know, she's we've always uh, she's a nurse, but she's she you know she she was the director of nursing here in the Winkler Hospital, and she was a director of nursing at the. Uh, personal care home in Altona and uh, and then she worked back here at the personal care home and then she worked for Eden Health for a number of years and now since 2000 she's been the director of occupational health for the big 3M plant in Morton okay and uh, and she has her own clinic she has a doctor comes in once a week mm-hmm. and uh, she's still you know she's still working loves it you know and uh, and then uh, when year and a half ago, uh, they put up a new uh, seniors complex, uh, assisted living, just between Morden and, and and Boston Pizza, just on the west side of Morden, east side of Morden. Okay. And it was always her dream, and so we convinced, and that's a totally private thing, right? There isn't one dollar of government grant in that place. And mm-hmm. So she set up a full clinic, and she meets the needs of those people one day a week. Nice. So... Uh, you know, so she, so she has been in in all the, uh, you know, all those different uh, things. Like we had a Toastmasters club in Altona, and and when I joined the club, it didn't allow women, right? Uh, and then eventually they changed the constitution that they would allow women in it, and so she was the first woman president that we had in the Toastmasters club. <laughs> in, in Altona, and so uh, so we did uh, we did all of this stuff together. Like she she was always flexible; that she could go with me mm-hmm. uh, to meetings and stuff. And so she fully understands what what I do and yeah. so forth. Well, you guys kind of, kind of do the same thing, right? You, yeah, totally. Yeah, help people organize their situations and yeah. help them run it. And, and she's uh, you know she's my my nurse, right? Like yeah. I would take her over some of the young doctors when it would come to an emergency mm-hmm. because she just knows. Yeah. She's a she's like umping the close calls. She's a nurse's nurse. Yeah. And she knows, eh? And and she has oh 
she has done so many things for different people that you know people nowadays like when she worked in the hospital they come to her and you know you were there when I delivered my first child you know (laughs) so we've had you know we have two daughters one lives in Vancouver she's she's a singer she graduated from University of Manitoba and we thought she was going to BC to study music and uh, she really wasn't uh, but she sings. She still sings in church. She had the, the first Baptist church in Vancouver. She she does uh, solo work and stuff. But uh, she went out there. She thought she was going to be a waitress, right? Because that's what she had. How she worked her way through university. She worked at Baked Expectations in Osborne Village yeah, yeah, yeah. for three winters, and and then uh, Sunset Diner at Plum Coulee during the summer. That's how she you know paid her bills. Yeah. And uh, anyway, she moved over there, and she thought and. And it just didn't work out. So she went to a, uh, what she thought was a job interview. It was a job fair. So they hired her for this temporary position at a law office. Well, she was so good at what she did that she was hired full time. So she worked there for two weeks. And then uh, her cousin uh, had a friend who was starting a subdivision of the Vancouver Foundation. And uh, and she needed an executive assistant. Well, she hired her daughter, right? Yeah. So she became that person's executive assistant for the Vancouver Foundation. It was a it was a great job, and uh, and again, a mentor. Well, I did a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, she she needed something, she would call. Anyway, so so she she from there, the lady that hired her, her husband started a law office, <laughs> and says, I only want. Lynn, uh, so he, the two of them started this law office. Mm-hmm. Well, four years later, there's five lawyers, and she's managing that law firm, wow. and uh, having a great time. Coming home for Christmas for ten days, and and we have a young daughter in Winkler here that uh, has a you know one of these uh, mixed uh, relationships. Uh, she was a top-notch goalie in hockey and a ball player, and then she became pregnant when she was sixteen and had a little boy, and and he took off, and so. She stayed at home and lived with with us until that boy was three, and then all of a sudden she took off again and went in, and moved in with another guy, and of course be, became pregnant. And and uh, but uh, today, knock on wood, uh, he had three boys with another woman. Uh, he had lost those boys because of uh, whatever they did. Well, our twenty-one-year-old daughter that thought I was an absolute ignorant person all those years when she grew up right because I always wanted the best for her and that wasn't what she wanted right mm-hmm. at that time anyway June 1st with her moving in and looking after the the child and family services gave him the three boys back oh, wow. so now they have a blended family she's 21 and she's got five kids yeah <laughs> a, a new baby in July her other boy is three, four years old, and he had a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and a seven-year-old. Wow! And that's she's a, looking after them with flying colors. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm I'm on call. Yeah. She phones me. You know, before I was so going to chair a meeting over there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she'll you know no pick or up umpire. some groceries. Is that umpire in chair meeting <laughs> broadcasting? <can't> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, you that's, know that's where you get to do the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Carry some water. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. you just you know like yeah it's it's all uh, you know I've always uh, you know uh, 
been been one to, uh, and my wife is the same way. You know, we we we, we do things. Uh, uh, you know, if we think we need to, we do them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we don't look at what it, what they pay or what the cost or whatever. Yeah. You know, we just uh, yeah, make it work. Yeah, make it work. You know, and uh, so that's cool. Yeah, so that's uh, that's uh, you know we uh, I had the privilege of. Uh, Officiating at my parents' funerals and my mom and both my in-laws, and sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. I I remember when I officiated at my dad's funeral in 1984. It was uh, it was quite an honor. And then my mother later, and, and my father-in-law, and, and then my mother-in-law just uh, well, that's now five years ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that that those are the really uh you know that's 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 the, the top of the people have asked me to run politics and I say no I think I have a higher calling. We'll let you guys do that. Yeah. But that's me. That's uh, that's uh what I do. Well, thanks Harry for letting me talk to you and hearing what Siemens has to says. <laughs> and everybody in Manitobaville is going to be interested in you because well, probably, it, you know, probably it, all know you <laughs> well it's been a it's been a great uh, time to visit and catch up on things that uh, some of you, you know things that we experienced together uh, to be able to share with people uh, the, the good things and, and sometimes not so good things that have happened in our lives and and yet how we've been able to move through and uh, as i said to you before my goal has been to 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 be a i'm a farm journalist first and a farmer's advocate, a very close second. Okay, so a big thank you to Harry Siemens for that interview, letting me come down and sit at the table and have a chat about the old days and the new days and everything in between. And uh, remember, if you win, that's two days. <laughs> that's two weekends in where Plum Cooley, yeah, <laughs> first prize. It was the second prize of the weekend in Plum Coulee. Oh, man, that was so funny. I've never heard so many uh, good lines come out of somebody because he he's heard them all. He's made up a few, I'm sure, and they're just, uh, they're, they're just legends in the community. So, uh, But nothing wrong with Plum Coulee, I'm sure. I've uh, driven through there. Very nice community. It's just, uh, you know, we all have to take it on the chin once in a while. <laughs> so... Better than being promised going to Miami, Florida, and then they're sending you to Miami and Manitoba. I remember the people who sued over that one, and successfully so, because sometimes radio DJs just ain't that smart. Well, I guess it wasn't the DJ. It was probably the promotions guy. Yeah, it was the guy, the, the, oh, I got a great idea. Let's trick people. It'll be a good laugh. And they're like, yeah, not so much. Sorry, pal. But um, anyway, that's that's another Manitoba story of lore. From back in the day. So ask a friend who's older. See if they know about that story. And if they do listen to it. You know. Listen politely. Tell them a story of your own. That's what we do. That's how it goes around on the Manitobaville scene. Anyway. This is Mahangel. This is the Manitobaville podcast. Uh, use that moniker. Manitobaville. To spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Tell your. You know. Um, I don't know. The person at the, uh, the kennel. Where you leave your dog. When you go drive around Manitoba. <laughs> so they'll be interested. They'll want to have some podcasts on hand if they're doing that kind of work. Okay, so that's it for this episode. 
and stick around and you will hear more coming down the pipe. All right. And just a reminder that the Manitobaville podcast is copyright 2022 Rodeo Road Studios. (laughs) 